Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast dedicated at all times to bringing together entrepreneurs, founders, startups with angels, venture capitalists, uh, family offices, investment firms, uh, making that happen. We do not give any investment advice. Do your own research. Make your own decisions, of course. Um, but I am delighted uh, today to welcome to our podcast Roberto Tame from uh, Noctos in uh, in Mexico City. Is that right, Roberto? That is correct. Yeah. Thank you so much. For and you me. are yes, it's a pleasure. Um, I saw you at, on a uh, I saw your company. Um, your um, uh, uh, one of your associates, Pablo Demedros. I think I said that right. Is that close? Um, on a, a unicorn pitch contest, um, uh, where he did, I think, quite well, and I was intrigued by the by the concept of Noctos. Um, we have a lot of ground to cover here today because you have a very interesting background. But what I wanted to say about Noctos, and maybe you can sharpen up my description a little bit, is you have basically brought um, uh, something of an arbitrage model to uh, hotel rooms, and you buy them in advance. Um, you rent the rooms in advance, I guess I should say, and uh, then you sell them to corporate travel departments and others who want to um, control their costs. Is that is that essentially the business model? Um, pretty much what we do is we pre-sell a certain amount of um, what we call an octo, which is a unit of measure. And with that specific coin, um, companies can secure their uh, lodging. Uh, well in advance. So they will always pay the same amount regardless of what hotel they decide to stay when they decide to stay. And what's one of the many things that's interesting about this to me is that you actually were uh, operating an extended stay hotel chain um, uh, when the pandemic hit. Tell us, take us through that business a little bit and how that, uh, how you got to Noctos uh, in, in effect as a way to stay in business and maybe create a new business model? Uh, sure. In 12 years ago, we uh, founded what became Mexico's number one extended state chain. And after 12 years of, of operating that and selling more than 1.5 million rooms, COVID came. So I was basically sitting in thousands of uh, rooms that were unable to be monetized because mm -hmm. of COVID. And on the other hand, we had a lot of customers that they weren't traveling due to the pandemic, but eventually they would go back. So in order to try to keep those customers within our network and try to monetize the rooms that were, we were unable to, to sell, what we decided to do is uh, uh, analyze the data over the, the last years and then uh, went back to the companies and said, you know what? Sometimes you pay, let's suppose, 10 bucks for a room. Sometimes you pay five. But on average, you you paid this much. So why don't we kind of <clears throat> pre-sell you the a specific amount of nights? So regardless of whenever you decide to go back to travel, you will always pay the same. And regardless of what city or what hotels you want to stay, then eventually it will always cost you the same. So you will have predictability and uh savings within your 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 travel uh, spend so companies like that 
And that's basically what we decided to do, saying, you know what, if this applies to many companies and it also applies to a lot of hotels, why don't we just scale this up? So that's how Noctos came into 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 this. And, and I assume what they liked about this was the ability to control their costs. It was the ability to control the cost. It was the ability to have one single stop shop for every accommodations that they might need. It, it, it always, um, all, also bring them a lot of savings because, you, as you probably know, 12% of uh, travelers are business travelers, but they represent 75% of the industry profits. So usually a business traveler ends, ends up paying seven times the average. So a lot of times business travelers have to pay a lot more just because they travel on business. And nowadays with dynamic pricing, nothing has to do with supply and demand, but it has to do with a lot of where the, 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 the travel is coming from. Um, so for example, if you book a hotel through Expedia or through booking out of Park Avenue, you will get a different rate than if you do it from Queens, right? So algorithms pick that you're a business traveler and automatically they will charge you more. I, I didn't realize that. I spent um, a little bit of time in the travel industry at American Express, but it was a long time ago. I don't think they had quite figured any of that out yet, but but obviously you have. So you were really uh, truly a hotel operator first before you got into this part of the business. Absolutely. I was an operator. And before that, um, we um, launched a finance company out of Mexico City in 2001, and we were doing uh, microloans. And we sold that business in 07, and this was, was the opportunity for us to bring the, the finance business, okay, with an arbitrage platform and an arbitrage model into the travel industry. So now we are not a part of the travel community in the sense that we, we do not operate any hotels or what have you. We're um, uh, hotel agnostic and location agnostic, uh, we're more of a, um, an arbitrage, a financial player. And is that an unusual position in this industry? We know, and maybe tell us why that is different from a Priceline, a Kayak, a, a TripAdvisor, those kinds of platforms. Well, if you do want to book a hotel stay, you have thousands of um, alternatives, like the ones you mentioned, or you could go through a travel agency, or you just... Um, can go straight to the hotel website. But when it comes to fixing the price of your accommodation, that's basically non-participants at all. No, So um, <clears throat> the industry focus on mainly um, um, a kind of a commission-based mm -hmm. uh, model instead of um, uh, fixing the price and me as a company bearing the financial risk of uh, taking away the volatility out of those prices. I see. And now... Another thing that's interesting about you, Roberto, I think, is that you are one of um, you are an entrepreneur who has uh, had multiple exits, multiple successes. Um, uh, but you've also had others that, you know, haven't haven't worked quite as well. Um, so you are truly uh, understanding of the, you know, the cycle of being an entrepreneur and the challenge of being an entrepreneur. But take us all the way back to 1998. You started an internet car company uh, that grew to be number one in Latin America, and you sold that in 2001. What was that experience like? Well, when um, I was going through business school, um, I, 
I then was hired by Goldman Sachs and then out of New York and <clears throat> for, for, for a small time. And then I decided that I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So I came down to Mexico, my home country, and then we started uh, an internet company selling cars over the internet. And we kind of grew that. We had offices in Buenos Aires, in Rio, in Sao Paulo, uh, obviously Mexico City and then Miami. And we sold that in 2000 and it, it, it kind of was, we, we had some soft landing obviously because the bubble burst. And, but I liked it. I liked the way that um, the entrepreneurial world um, was, you know, that, that experience. Mm -hmm. So I kind of went back to school um, I like studying, so I went. Um, I, I I went to Boston, tried to get a PhD, but then I decided that I didn't want to finish up with all the the dissertation and the, the that research. <laughs> the, the hard part. part. <laughs> so that's when I <clears throat> I know the hard part. And in those in in those times, I took kind of a couple of uh, uh, courses out of the Kennedy School, and then um, looked into these um, um, focusing on the poor and bringing these financial products to the poor with this guy that was quite famous Indian guy called Mohammed Yunus. And then I, that's when I decided to come back to Mexico and started the, the finance company. You know, we, <clears throat> we were doing microloans, obviously FinTech wasn't even in the radar for most companies. And we grew that we had a uh, 60 branches, half a million loans, wow. 1300 employees. Wow. And, and yeah, it's, Grupo Financiero Santander came in 2007 and kind of bought us out. And I didn't want to go back to the corporate life and become the employee number 284 out of Santander. So kind of uh, went back to school, obviously, you know, um, um, went to UC Davis to try to get a winemaking degree. And then um, I started an um, uh, import company in the U.S. I'm a U.S. citizen also, so... We started a distribution company, a direct-to-consumer distribution company, selling Mexican wine in the U.S. So we became kind of the number one seller of Mexican wine outside Mexico. And we kind of crashed and burned that one. No? I, I made a huge mistake. I never imagined that the demand was going to be way too high for the supply of Mexican wines to be to be up there, no? And wine, as you probably know, is not something that you just can start a machine and create a right. little bit more, no? So <clears throat> it, it wasn't the business that we wanted to um, a grow. It wasn't the size that I wanted a, um, um, to create of a company. And then the, we closed that business and then we started the, with the, the whole well, I have to... my, my head is... I'm sorry? <clears throat> No, that my head is kind of a wired to look for arbitrage opportunities. So. Yeah, no, I love the fact that, uh, well, a couple things. One is that you go back to school. Um, we've had another CEO on the Accelerator podcast named Jim Foote of First Ascent Biomedical, and he wanted to start a, a cancer treatment company um, and had a, been an executive in cybersecurity at ADP for 20 years, but decided he had to go back to business school to learn how to start a company. So he went back to business school. He started this really cool company, cancer treatment company. And now you, you the same thing, um, learn, wanting to learn, being willing to spend the money and time to go back to school. But um, so Mexican wine turned out to be more popular than you expected and the demand was greater and you couldn't supply it. Is Absolutely. that what happened? 
That is correct. I mean, basically, um, uh, as you probably know, the U.S. is a huge market and you have a, a lot of small niches. And, and, and when we kind of um, assess the total addressable market of Mexican wine and then went, went back to Mexico and analyzed the supply of Mexican wine, probably we would have to buy the whole um, a couple of states down in Mexico um, <clears throat> to, to produce just for the U.S. market. No? So wow. it was hard for us to, 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 to supply that demand. To the US and I assume you got, I'm just guessing now, but I assume you got into that because you must really like wine. And it felt like, well, uh, instead of just, you know, doing any old business, I want to do something I feel passionate about. Is that what happened? It is kind of what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love doing businesses in the sense that I, I, I like being passionate about it. I've been fortunate enough um, by I have been quite successful, so I don't need to work for the money, which is a great advantage. And so now I tend to look for companies that I really like. I like creating stuff. I like uh, working with people. I like, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, like the things that really evolve when you're, you're having fun. I do want to have fun, whatever I do. So wine for me was I'm a chemical engineer background. Right. So wine was something that, I, that interested me. So, so that's how we end up doing. And wine is so basically, uh, yes, it's uh, wine is chemistry, right? It is chemistry. It's kind of chemistry, and it's art. And and if you think about it, um, there's a lot of stuff around wine that it's around happiness. No, you cheer whenever you're happy, and you you share wine with people that you love, right. and so it's kind of a nice business in that. Yeah, sense. you know, it's funny. I knew somebody who once had a cheese shop in Aspen, Colorado, and she said. She had a whole philosophy about how cheese was the one thing that touches everyone in the family. <laughs> you know, everyone has, you know, different kinds of cheese. So it's, it's, it's a funny way to think about it, but it's certainly true. Now, let me ask you this question, because as somebody who's had successful exits um, and, and also crashed and burned, as you said, what did you learn from the success and what did you learn from the failure? And was it that different? Um, I mean, sometimes the line of success and failure is so thin, you know, there's a lot of companies that are in the, just about to be bankrupt. And then they have like a, some fortunate event and then they're quite successful. And on the other aspect, you now you see companies that are just about to IPO or even they did already an IPO and then they just crash, right? So yeah. it's kind of um, hard. And I think that in the end, what makes the difference is the people you work with, no? Because <clears throat> people tend to be um, those that make the things happen, right? Good ideas, there's tons of people, no, that have very good ideas and very good business models and but you need to execute, no? So probably the difference between being successful and being a failure is just being there, working the hours, walking the walk, having the right team, and eventually, eventually you'll be successful. Um, it's kind of a, how you measure success, no? For me, it's looking at balance, being a, for me, being successful is enjoying what I do, having a nice family, uh, sharing, uh, giving, giving back to the community, 
caring about the people you work with, the people who have helped you. And, and for me, that's what success is all about. So sometimes you're, it doesn't make sense what I'm going to say, but sometimes by failing is when you really succeed. Ah, interesting. And when did you first feel like a success? Well, I was born in kind of a, in a successful environment. Um, I was taught from the beginning that to, to look for a balance in life, no? to look for ways to be happy with what you have. Um, and, and, and for me, it, I always try to see happiness with whatever's in front of me. If you tend to feel those um, uh, looking always to be better, if you think that you could always be richer, you could always have a, a better opportunity, a better house, a better, then you will never try to feel that. No, it's going to be hard for you to be happy with. If you're not happy with what you have, it's going to be really hard for to be happy with with whatever you dream of having. No? But that doesn't mean that you should always try to look um, for 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 more in the sense that kind of um, giving back to whatever you've been fortunate enough to have. No? So <clears throat> I'm a dual citizenship. I've been to school. I've been successful. So that 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 for me, giving back to the community and, and creating businesses really brings me a lot of joy. Yeah, no, that's, that's um, exciting. I think people uh, tend to forget about the balance part, <laughs> particularly when they're starting a company. They often forget that. Um, but, um, but let me ask you about your, your, uh, your current, your, your, once you got into the hotel business. So let's, let's talk about the extended stay hotel business. Was there no extended stay hotels in Mexico when you started that a few years ago? Was that a new thing? It's, it's funny. Uh, I mean, Mexico is just right next to the U.S. And, but there's a lot of businesses that I, I don't know why. They take some time to, get, to come down to Mexico. And, and, and I mean, Extended Stay was such um, <clears throat> a business that has been in the States like 30, like from the 70s. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know why there wasn't a formal um, chain of extended stay running here down in Mexico. No? So we looked at that opportunity because obviously there was a lot of demand for a product like that, but it was all, it was being supplied by something else, more informal player, mm -hmm. um, a lot of hotels, but nothing like uh, on extended stay chain. Mm. Um, and I knew that uh, looking for the arbitrage that if we were successful enough to tropicalize um, a, a U.S. model into Mexico and operated, um, um, scaling it up. Then eventually, whenever the big brands from the States or somewhere else wanted to come down to Mexico, they would either have to build build their own or buy an incumbent. You know? So that was kind of our play. Um, um, since, since the beginning, I always kind of um, create these companies with the notion to operate them for life, but always be ready in case somebody comes and, 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 and wants to buy it. No? So that was our play in the extended state chain um, world. No? And did the, um, were you able to, did you ultimately sell the hotel chain or, or, or did the pandemic sort of put an end to that idea? Well, no, the pandemic kind of uh, um, uh, shook us off, obviously. We were in the 
almost bankrupt. So we kind of refinanced the debt. Um, we um, kind of turned over the hotels. So we're um, I'm not operating that anymore, but the 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 chain still operates. Mm-hmm. I'm still chairman of the board. I was a founder and I'm still chairman. I don't operate that anymore. And we're basically trying to um, uh, survive, you know, with the pandemic stuff like that. So the the business travelers are coming back. Mexico has been fortunate enough to have a lot of people. Um, uh, a lot of people they have um, start traveling, and Mexico has been a quite good destination to do that. So Mexico, it's up and running. So eventually, I think we'll we'll find a way out for that. Um, and so that that leads us to uh, Noctos, um, which is the arbitrage company, I guess we would call it, the arbitrage platform for hotel rooms. Does your extended to stay chain form some of the basis for the hotel rooms that that you were then able to sell to to customers, to corporate customers? Uh, yeah, we started um, uh, obviously trying to get um, the, the extended stay chain um, rooms. To be sold, uh, and then we noticed that companies started saying, "You know what? I want more destinations. You don't have that destination." And then there were like big companies that needed more rooms than the ones we could supply on the extended stay chain. So that's how we ended up seeing that there was much more demand for the product other than the extended stay. And chain. the customers, so the customers kind of pushed you into that in a sense. In a sense, yes, it was more of the opportunity. Yeah, and and so what happens? Where are you in the business right now? Are you looking um, uh, to raise money? Are you looking to expand? Where? What what kind of traction do you have, and what do you see moving forward in the next year or two? Yeah, we started the business in January two uh, we we have bootstrapped the business right from the beginning, and I didn't want to make sure that there was a um, a business to run after uh, before looking to either develop huge uh, technology or raising funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after we noticed that that there was a lot of demand for our product, um, with the type of business that we have, we're kind of a fintech enabled travel service if you might think about it yeah, and yeah. for example we noticed that for other fintech companies going abroad to a different country maybe they need regulation or something like that or some other tech company that goes to a different country they they might need to establish to establish some type of infrastructure and with us with the dynamic of the of the hotel industry we basically need to just adapt some minor changes to our platform to take into account um, uh, FX or tax, local tax issues. But other than that, we, we, we can expand. So now we decided to go abroad and, and, and expand. So we're basically, yes, um, on the process of raising funds, we look to, uh, we, we have just started running a couple of pilots to see what country in Latin America is going to be next. And we might start running a, a U.S. pilot to see if the U.S. market could be could host our, our business. So this would be new to the U.S. market. This kind of arbitrage. I yes, definitely yes. It would be new to the to to, to the U.S. market. Uh, we don't know if there's a company out there trying to do the same. Um, you know, nowadays 
you never see somebody coming and when you notice they're huge right yeah uh but but as we know and the research with that we have done there's nobody doing something like this we know there's a company called hopper and they're kind of a selling airline tickets stuff like that and they sell like an insurance product oh. so you can pick you, you can you can buy an insurance just to freeze the price of your travel ticket for quite a while so it's kind of a what we're doing in the sense that you got a fixed price, but it's the other way around. You buy the ticket and then you buy an insurance for that price not to fluctuate. Yeah, that's that's a whole nother headache, right? <laughs> the airline pricing, yes, yeah, it's, yes. it's just so yes. maddening. Uh, it's hard to figure out who's doing, you know, why they do anything. But um, um, we're talking with uh, Roberto Tame. He is the CEO of Noctos. Um, I'm Michael Conniff. This is the Accelerator. Um, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and founders, startups, VCs, angels, family offices, investment firms. Um, and uh, it's great to have Roberto here because you are have a wealth of information. I think you might even go into the self-help business, uh, Roberto. How about writing a book, giving some speeches, um, telling people how to live the balanced life? That could be that could be next for you, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, um, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm tend to be um under the radar guy. Mm -hmm. I, I like to remain being humble. Um, I'm, mm -hmm. as I told you before, I'm quite grateful. I don't think sometimes I don't even think I deserve this. No. So, so, I mean, I would love to try to help people, but I don't think that I'm up there just to write a book. So as you, um, you're in the midst of uh, Nocto, so so maybe this is a little premature, but I have a feeling that you have about, what, a half dozen other businesses you'd like to start? Absolutely. <laughs> it's always been. <laughs> always. But you know what? That I'm not very good at, at doing multitasking. Oh, that's your You're lucky. So you're lucky. Of, so I'm kind of like narrow focus yeah. because uh, I think that focus is quite um, – um, a thing that you need to develop. Mm. There's people that are very good at doing too many things. I'm not one of them. So I kind of focus on, on whatever I'm doing. And for me, Noctos, now it's 100% of my time in terms of business, right? Um, and I do want to keep a balanced life. So for me, focusing on getting Noctos out of um, um, uh, run, up and running and try to be as successful as possible with a big opportunity. Now with technology, the thing that has changed over the years, like for me as a, a, as a business person is that, I mean, you could have like a company 20 years ago and, 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 and the boundaries were quite limited. Now with the technology, you can bring these businesses up to the world now. No? So it's much easier now in, sense, in terms of scalability. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of um, um, challenges that comes up with that, no. But but now um, having a, a good business and being a scale, um, an scalable business is quite um, a challenge, and, but but it's very attractive. You know, this this so this might be a good thing to end to end on, um, Roberto, because I think um, many I'm certainly like this, but many entrepreneurs have a really hard time focusing on one thing. I mean, I uh, when I speak to, you know, uh, founders, a lot of I mean, I think just as recently as a couple of days ago, I said to somebody, um, 
do you realize how hard it is to be great at one thing and you're trying to do two things? I, I don't think you can do it. I think you have to try one thing. Um, and the so focusing is extremely difficult. How do you not get distracted by ideas that are nonetheless percolating in your subconscious or in your conscious for that matter? How do you stay focused? Well, I guess it's a little bit of experience. No? I, I mean, I've been there, done that, and obviously I made a lot of mistakes. And and one thing that is good is just focusing on what, what you're good at no? and then trying to get people that can complement with the parts that you're not good mm. at. No? So sometimes when you're surrounded with a good team and, and, and you obviously you try to listen to them and then a lot of a, a lot of the times they will notice that that you're diverting from the original mm -hmm. course um, and nowadays i mean whenever everyone has an advice right and it's funny but this uh, the entrepreneurial wor world and raising money whenever you talk to a, an investor everyone has a different idea and it tends to be funny but a lot of people they don't even know what's going to happen right yeah. so you have these very smart people um, quite successful people and you can see them in the same table and they will have probably diverting ideas, no? So it's kind of a being there, trying to be humble, trying to listen and, and then just focusing on whatever you believe, no? And being patient enough to see the, the results. And that's something I, I guess that, I mean, I see it with my kids. I have two boys, uh, Juan Pablo, he's 21, Diego is 19 and, and the new generation's in a lot of things are quite impatient, no? So sometimes you just need to wait and then you'll see the results. So, so true. Being patient, always, it's, it's quite hard. always good advice. We've been talking to Roberto Tame of uh, Nocos in uh, Mexico City. This is the accelerator with uh, Michael Conniff. Um, it's uh, great to be here again with uh, some incredible insights, I think, into the entire experience of being an entrepreneur. And uh, Roberto, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've really enjoyed this and hope you come back and tell us the fate of Noctos when the time is right. I would love to be here whenever you host me back. And thank you so much. Thank you much for the opportunity. Thank you, Roberto. This is The Accelerator with Michael Conniff, and we'll be back before you know it.